Gareth is going to um, uh, conclude our series on when you pray, looking at the Lord's Prayer. But what we're going to do is we're going to read for the final time that, uh, that scripture from Matthew 6. If you want to turn to your Bibles to Matthew 6, um, no one turns. It's on the screen, isn't it? So I, again, I won't wait for you to find the place in your Bible or on your phone because you're there. Um, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please welcome Gareth as he comes to speak to us this morning. You're kind. Morning, guys. Morning. Yes, yeah, so as Matt said, um, we're going to be wrapping up our um, When You Pray series of talks this morning, where we've considered each line of the Lord's Prayer, each little phrase, bit by bit. And this morning, we've come to the end of the prayer. We've come to the line we're going to consider this morning, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes it's translated. Now, if you're here for the first time and, and, and you're like, oh, yay, we've come on the week where this guy's going to talk to us about evil. Yay. Then I promise from the outset, I promise we land somewhere hopeful. Don't worry. It's all right. It's all right. Um, but let's be honest. From, from the start, the topic of evil is at best hard to think about and at worst kind of weird to think about, Right. Our culture has formed us in multiple different understandings of what evil or the evil one actually is. And not all of these are helpful. We only have to open up our, our news app or sit and watch the, watch the news for, for a few minutes to see, get an overview of the evil things happening across our world right now. You know, war breaking out, famine across the place, uh, the evil of racism and, and human trafficking, global warming. I'm not going to stand here and list all of the evils in the world. Don't worry. But they, there's a lot, right? We, we, we can feel so aware and almost overburdened sometimes and not know how to react to the problem of evil. And yet at the same time, we can also be bombarded sometimes with, with weird little caricatures of evil that, that sort of trivialize it in some way. It's easy to assume that nobody's quite as cartoonishly evil as like, you know, your James Bond villain stroking a cat whose aim is to blow up the world. That doesn't make any sense. What happens to, that, what happens to you if you blow up the world? Um, and, and because no one, no one in the world is that evil, right? Then no one could be really that evil if no one's as evil as that guy. So, uh, you know, the idea can become that actually maybe there isn't that much evil because no one's as evil as this guy. And so for us, you know, we can, we can also throw in there the idea in our prayer we, when we say deliver us from evil. We can throw in that idea of deliverance, being delivered. And, and frankly, some of us, that might just be the weird thing, you know, growing up, you might have just, all you've gleaned really is that deliverance is the weird stuff that happens in, in freaky horror movies. And I don't want to think about that, about that too much. 
And so all of that means that when it comes to praying this line of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, it's really hard to know what we're actually praying here sometimes. The theologian and author C.S. Lewis, he said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about evil and the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So what he's saying is when it comes to considering evil, there are two traps we've got to avoid falling into. The first trap is that we can see evil nowhere. We can minimize evil. We can take the head in the sand approach and ignore it or pretend that evil doesn't really exist. Or that if it does, it, it doesn't really matter. And the second trap is the opposite, seeing it everywhere. We can wallow in evil. We can allow it to dominate our worldview. Now, spoiler alert, at this point, I, I also think there is a third trap, um, which has emerged as a variant of the second trap in the, in the last few years. But we'll get onto that in a bit. But what we learn from the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus' desire for his followers isn't to fall into either of those, either of those traps. Jesus' desire for his followers is that we both recognize the reality of evil and we live out of his victory over it. We recognize the reality, we live out of his victory. We stand here a week before Easter on Palm Sunday as people invited to live out the power of the Easter story in our daily lives. Knowing that everything that is evil and deathly in this world has come, uh, has been come undone and has been overthrown because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's coming undone. We recognize the reality. We live out of his victory. That's how Jesus approaches us to, to, uh, teaches us to approach evil. And so because of that, when we pray this prayer that Jesus has taught us, we can pray it with confidence. It's a prayer where we let go of our desire to hurry away into either one of those two traps. And it's a prayer where we hand over to God our desire to define both evil and deliverance ourselves. And so what I want to take a bit of time this morning to do is just consider those two traps of seeing evil nowhere, seeing evil everywhere, and consider how praying each of these, these four words, deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one, help us to avoid falling into these traps. And so the first trap, seeing evil nowhere taking the head in the sand approach, or, or trivializing or minimizing evil. We can pretend that evil doesn't really exist, or that if it does, it's not something that we should really concern ourselves with. I remember about seven months after I, I came to faith, um, I, I moved to university down in Exmouth. Um, ooh, Exmouth. Um, there's not a university campus there anymore. It's a strange place to go to university. All my friends went to big cities, and I was like, sleepy little fishing town in Devon, that's me, let's go. Um, so I moved to, I moved to Exmouth, and I, I was really fresh in my faith. I didn't, I didn't really know anything. Um, it's okay to not have answers to all the questions. I didn't have answers to any of the questions, right? And so, but I was, I was really excited. I was really excited to tell people about my newfound faith in Jesus. And so I'm, I have this really vivid memory of, of talking to a friend of mine whilst we, I think we were on our way to a kebab van, which feels quite on brand. Um, we were on our way to finding a kebab van, and we were just chatting about my newfound faith in Jesus. And he simply said, so you believe in the existence of a good God? Do you believe in the existence of evil? What about the existence of the devil? And I just, frankly, I just panicked. I didn't, I didn't know. I, hadn't really, I realized I hadn't really thought about it. And if I'm honest, I didn't want to think about it at all. All I knew at the time was what I gleaned from pop culture. And frankly, it was much nicer to just not think about that sort of bad stuff. So I just ignored it entirely. And I think, if I'm honest, that kind of reflected a, a slightly naive worldview that I had at the time that kind of bled out to, to be able to unsee, uh, not being able to see evil at work anywhere in the world. 
And so, yeah, sure, I thought at the time that, you know, people did silly or mean things sometimes, but I basically thought if we all tried a little bit harder, things will be okay. Now, I think it's right and proper that we don't spend all of our time talking about evil and the devil. That would not be healthy or helpful. And I want, I want to be known most of all for talking about Jesus. But in the Gospels, Jesus does not have a problem with talking about evil at all. And he even encourages us to actively pray about and against it, to pray against the evils we see in our world. So when we fall into the trap of seeing evil nowhere, Jesus offers us a solution in the Lord's Prayer. He encourages us not to pray, deliver us from bad things or to deliver us from meany people, but to pray specifically that our Father in heaven would deliver us from evil. In some translations of the Bible, this, as, as, like the one we've read this morning, it's even more specific. Deliver us from the evil one. Throughout the Bible, we, we find angels and, and demons and all sorts of other weird spiritual stuff. And if you, you find some of this stuff confusing, then frankly, you're not alone. Don't worry. Um, unhelpfully, though, our, our modern depictions of these creatures are mostly rooted in all kinds of caricatures and, and misunderstandings of who they are and where they fit into the overall storyline of the Bible. But perhaps one of the most striking things about Jesus is his awareness of the reality of evil and his awareness of, of the, this, this character, the Satan, not as a, a little man in red tights uh, with a pitchfork or as some funny little mascot on the Man United crest. Yeah, I went there, Man United fans. <sighs> Just pointing that out. I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on. No. But Jesus doesn't understand the Satan as like this weird little funny little mascot. He understands the Satan, the Satan as some sort of ultimate evil. The, the enemy of God, the enemy of God's kingdom and God's creation. But coupled with that is Jesus' absolute assurance in the fact that the Satan is impotent and powerless when compared to our Heavenly Father. This is good news. And that's a theme which runs throughout the pages of Scripture, but ultimately finds its culmination in the events of Holy Week and Easter, which we celebrate this coming week. Jesus invites us to recognize the reality of evil and the evil, evil one in our world and to pray for God to deliver us from it knowing that he already has the victory over it. And so as, as Matt's mentioned, today is, is Palm Sunday, Palm Tree Sunday. We're going to keep making that joke because we like it. Uh, Palm Tree Sunday, the, the first day of Holy Week, the day where we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, only a few days before his crucifixion. In John 12, it says this about Jesus coming to, into Jerusalem. The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Now, we're going to keep coming back to, to this passage, but it seems remarkable to me that Jesus knows what's coming his way. Only a few verses after this incredible, triumphant, high-point moment, he's predicting his death to his disciples. He can see ahead to the reality of the evil he will have flung at him on Good Friday. But he doesn't preempt it or, or start sticking his head in the sand or pretend evil isn't real. And he doesn't even cling with everything he's got to the high point of Palm Sunday. Instead, he moves graciously. He moves humbly. He moves passionately through the highs of Palm Sunday to the lows of Good Friday where he confronts and overthrows evil. And we as people living on the other side of Good Friday and carrying the news of that empty tomb found on Easter Sunday, we're invited by him to move in the same way not to stick our head into the sand, not to pretend evil isn't real, not to cling with everything we've got to the high points and the, the great moments, but in the power of the Holy Spirit to move graciously, to move humbly, and to move passionately as we join in with God's work of overthrowing and confronting the evil in our world. So if the first trap is seeing evil nowhere, 
The second trap we can fall into is the opposite, seeing evil everywhere. We can wallow in it. We can allow it to dominate our view of the world. Now, imagine if you came around to my house for dinner with, with me and my wife, and I cooked for you. Oh, I'm all right cooking. I'm getting better. I, I, I started teaching myself in the second and third lockdown because I was rubbish before, and I'm getting better now. I'm, I'm passable. Um, and as we sat down, my, my wife might, because she's, she's the wise one in the family, she, she will say something like, Gareth, would you say grace for us before we eat? To which I would reply, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, totally remember we were going to say grace first. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Good idea. Um, now, what I usually do is pray something like, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for this time together. Keep us mindful of the needs of others. Bless this food to our bodies. And bless this evening, uh, our time together to our hearts. Amen. But if you came around and I set a plate before you, and instead of praying that, I started praying, Lord, I pray your protection over each of us as we eat this food. I bind up any evil forces lingering in this food. I pray against any evil and sickness and illness that the enemy might want to bring upon us through this food. Amen. Your response might quite understandably be like, actually, do you know what? I'm not hungry now. Do you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you, though. Thank you for cooking. Whatever you've cooked, what is in this? Um, now, it's not that praying like that. It's not that praying against evil is bad in itself. We've already covered it. It's a good thing to pray against evil. But we can actually end up, when all we do is pray against evil, all that we do is see evil in the world, if, if we can give Satan too, far too much credit when we obsess over evil. And so that title, the Satan, uh, when it's translated from Hebrew, literally means the adversary. And scripture calls him the adversary because he isn't for anything, as it were. He's just anti-everything. He doesn't create new and beautiful things like God does. He works by lying and distorting the beautiful things that God has already created. Things like nature and sex and relationships and possessions and structures of authority. All things that God has created for our good, but the Satan tries to twist and warp. He is opposed to everything God does. But, and this is important, he's not the equal opposite of God. So he's opposed to everything God does, but he's not equal and opposite. He's not like God's opposite number in any way, shape, or form. Jesus wants us to be aware of the reality of evil and the evil one, but he wants us to put them in their proper place. He doesn't want us to fixate or obsess over evil. He wants us to fix our eyes on our heavenly Father, knowing that the Satan can't hold a candle to him, has been defeated already. And that's why Jesus offers us another prayer, uh, another solution within the Lord's Prayer. And the solution to seeing evil everywhere is, isn't to pray, help us to be more aware of evil, but deliver us from evil. It's active. It's dynamic. It's, if a parcel is delivered, it's, it's, it's moved from one place to another. And the same is true of us when we pray to be delivered. God's response to this prayer isn't to just leave us where he found us. We can be sure that he'll answer faithfully and deliver us from evil. But... We've got to be prepared for the fact that God's deliverance may look different to what we're expecting. God doesn't ask us to face evil on our own. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And we have to trust that the Holy Spirit knows what's best for us. Sometimes when that's better than we even know ourselves. And I think this is especially true for us in our, our current cultural moment. Uh, the theologian and former Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright, he points out, out that in our modern age, and certainly since the advent of the internet and social media, there's a third trap that we need to avoid when it comes to considering evil, which is actually a variant of those two traps we've been considering already. And so I just want to delve into this third trap really quickly. And the third trap is seeing evil everywhere, but seeing it only in other people. 
So if the first trap is seeing evil nowhere, the second trap is seeing evil everywhere. The third trap we need to be aware of is seeing evil everywhere, but only seeing it in other people. We can take the seemingly high road of self-righteousness, saying to ourselves, evil is out there, all right, but it's, it's those people who are evil. And Oh boy, am I glad I'm one of the good ones. Everybody wants to be delivered from evil. The problem is, the problem is we just want to define who is evil. And we want to set our own parameters around how we want to be delivered. For example, we've, we've got local elections coming up in, in the Bay. Make sure you're registered to vote, May the 4th, I think it is. Um, but in our culture, it's sadly so common to say, hey, those people who think differently to me when it comes to politics, the ones voting for the other parties, they're, they're the evil ones I need delivering from. Or those people who argued with me on, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and clearly don't think the same as me about whatever hot button issue it is this week, they're the evil ones. Or those people who are in some way different to me, they're the evil ones that I need delivering from. But deliverance doesn't always look like we're expecting it to. And that's why Jesus, again, within the words of the Lord's Prayer, he offers us a solution to our self-righteous prayers. I pray all the time by inviting us to pray, not deliver me from evil or even deliver me and the people like me from evil, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And we're not praying this prayer, this line of the prayer on its own. We're praying it within the wider context of the whole of the Lord's Prayer, where we begin by asking our Father in heaven to truly deliver us from evil. Now, having been raised in our individualist culture, it's, it's really easy to lose sight of the fact that this prayer is deeply communal. We don't get to define who we want to be delivered from. God is inviting us all to be delivered from evil and the evil one. And again, we see this dynamic play out in the story of Palm Sunday, a time when the people of Israel were expecting that when the Messiah came, he would deliver them from the Roman Empire. About 140 years before Jesus was born, the Jewish people staged a revolution led by a guy called Simon Maccabee against an oppressive empire. And Israel was independent for about a century before the Romans then invaded. And at the end of this revolution, as, as the people of Israel um, entered into a recaptured Jerusalem, we know from historical sources that they entered the city with praise and waving of palm branches. And so we know uh, that across the next sort of 200 years, that in the political context in which Jesus lived, the palm branch was actually a symbol of the Israelite desire to be free of tyranny. They were a symbol of revolution and of Israelite independence. The crowds were welcoming Jesus with palm branches, not because necessarily that was what was to hand, but because they were expecting him to, to deliver them from evil and to deliver them through force, through power, through violence, by overthrowing the Romans. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus comes to do. He comes into Jerusalem as the prince of peace riding on a donkey to overthrow something much bigger. He comes to defeat death, to defeat sin, to defeat the evil and evil one and evil itself. He's not come to deliver us from each other. He's come to deliver us all from evil. So that wherever we are, whoever we think we are, whatever lies we've believed about ourselves or about others, however much of a mess we think we've made of our lives, whatever shame we heap on ourselves, whatever evil things we've done, or whatever evil things we've been on the receiving end of, Jesus says that none of it, none of it has the last laugh. None of it has the final say. None of it has the victory. Jesus has come to deliver us from evil, whoever you are and whatever your story. Jesus has come to deliver us from evil, not in the way we think and not in the way we're expecting. But when we pray this prayer, we join in with that. In part, we're praying, Lord, teach us what it is to be delivered from evil. Teach us, remind us that you've defeated evil and delivered us from the clutches of the evil one. This side of heaven, 
the evil one and his, his associates will still try and take a pop at us. Evil exists in the world. We know that. And we need to be real about that. But because of what Jesus has done by his death and resurrection, evil is defeated. We can both recognize the reality of evil and live out of his victory over it. Jesus doesn't come with a sword to fight evil with more evil. He doesn't defeat death by causing more death. He doesn't even come to overthrow politics with more politics. When the world and its soldiers are spitting on Jesus, cursing him, shaming him, nailing him to a cross, Jesus responds, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. When he's lifted on high on that cross, he's dying slowly with every agonizing breath. Jesus looks at his mum and his mate John. He says, you two, look after each other. When a criminal being crucified alongside him cries out and asks in desperation for Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, Jesus doesn't meet him with self-righteousness, but with compassion and hope. And the words, today you will be with me in paradise. The Son of God is hung on a cross. He's, he's left to die. He's taunted. He's abused. And at this point in human history, where the evil one most seems to have the upper hand, where evil is surely on the cusp of victory, Jesus overcomes it all with nothing but love and grace and sheer compassion for other people. And this confounds the ways of the evil one. This upends the evil roaming around this world and begins to put this world right again. Jesus starts a revolution, all right, but it's a revolution where we might see the love of God breaking out and renewing and restoring all things as evil loses its grip on this world. And the first evidence of that old order of things being overturned, overturned is that empty tomb where his body no longer lies. The Son of God is risen victoriously from the grave. And in one week's time, we will celebrate that together. But to get to Easter Sunday, we have to move through the pain and darkness of Good Friday. And life itself for each of us is very often like that. There is pain and darkness and much evil in this world that we, we have to recognize the reality of. And which we have to confront in order to play our part in seeing God's renewal and restoration of, of all things breaking out in the world. But we don't confront this evil alone. When evil tries to take a pop at us, when we see evil and injustice abound in the world around us and in the life of our beautiful bay, when we find our lives faced with darkness and despair, we can pray with confidence to our Father in heaven that he might deliver us from evil. For ultimately, we recognize the reality of evil and we live in the knowledge and hope of Jesus' victory over it all. Amen.